That's all I knew how to say. You know, but I was determined. You know, I said, you know what? If the American people speak to me in English, I will reply in English. So people will have, sorry, excuse me, sir. What time is it? And I will say to them, hi, my name is Jose. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do, Venters? From hi, my name is Jose, to speed reader. Jose Angel Meneza Jr. is known as the math tutor to the stars and speed reading coach. No need to read here. All you have to do is listen, just like it's an audiobook. With Trent the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity, theft crime in the night. Pick pop, key the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road. Rochambeau, tic tac toe, crossing a road with the nice flow. With my industry, you see me room, room, play Monopoly with my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth. teeth. Well, today I am in a place that is strange to me, and I'm in the lovely city of Hollywood Beach. And as I said, this is a strange place to me because I had never heard of Hollywood Beach. But our guest today is um, Jose Angel Manzana. And some of you might know him because he is also known as the tutor to the stars. And so, um, and especially if you're in Malibu, we, um, Jose and I, we, we talked tonight and I told him he should be known as Mr. Malibu because he's so <laughs> well connected in that city. And so I'm sure he's probably by the end of 2019, you'll be hearing stories of him also being known in addition to the the tutor of the stars he'll be mr malibu or we said even <laughs> we, we heard somebody had that name already so maybe <laughs> malibu man so we want to welcome um jose to vent with trent the gent all right thank you trent uh thank you so much for having me hey it's it's, it's a pleasure yeah. so don't know if you have listened to the the podcast before but you may know that we always like to go back to humble beginnings. Yeah. And you being from Honduras, obviously, right, you probably can tell us some stories about your beginnings and your dreams to come to America. So why don't you start by start there and let us know about your challenges over in your homeland and you know, at what point did you decide that you wanted to, to come to America? Definitely. I I still remember, like if it was yesterday, uh, when I was seven years old. I So I grew up in, was born and raised in La Ceiba, La Ceiba, Honduras. La Ceiba is the third most influential city in Honduras. It's on the coast, and uh, the majority of, of black people in Honduras, you know, live on the coast. And uh, I do remember going to my grandmother's home because she used to take care of us when my dad and mom used to work, right? And uh, so I went to, to the home, uh, and uh, so my grandfather, you know, was at work. And I do remember really clearly, Trent, this beautiful portrait 
with these three men. On the left was Abraham Lincoln. Okay. In the middle was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And here on the right was John F. Kennedy. Huh. And I asked, I asked my grandmother, who, who are they? Right? And uh, something that she said to me is that she didn't give me the direct answer. She just said, they are people of great honor that kept their word. I do remember that, like she said. And, uh, and one day you're going to be like them. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like that. <laughs> and uh, she didn't give you a direct answer. Well, growing up, eventually I started learning about them. Who are they, everything? In Honduras. In Honduras. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did they teach that in the schooling over there? Or you... you know what? If you go to an American school, okay, and typically people that go to American school are the very super rich. Uh, typically, the bilingual American school system is different for the elite in Honduras. And uh, you know, we're coming from a working class family, and I, I I remember clearly that eventually a teacher gave me a book on the history of the White House. And I was only, uh, that was seven years later, I remember. And in that story, I was truly inspired, specifically by Benjamin Banneker. Benjamin Banneker played a big role in the building of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And uh, that story truly changed my life. Because let me tell you, at that point, I was uh, a failure student. I was like... Uh, I was only, the only class that I would get an A would be in physical education. <laughs> I was a, a good at playing soccer, mm -hmm. extremely talented, by the way. And uh, I remember by reading his story, that's when I got inspired about, you know what, one day I'm going to be a good mathematician like Benjamin Banneker. Because he used the power of mathematics to build the whole Washington, D.C with perfect, it was just perfection. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I learned about the White House and you know, that was my image about America, the White House. Now, to keep the story short. <laughs> <laughs> Too late for that. Too late for that, look at that. In 2006, I was honoring the White House. Yes. I one of the best mathematicians from UCLA, which was also my dream school. Exactly. And uh, right there, when I was in the White House, I saw the portrait of Abraham Lincoln. It was I went to America, Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. So it was the, the exact same portrait. Wow! Yes. Wow. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. obviously, did you have goosebumps at that time watching, looking at that portrait? Or it was what just... was, what was, what was you, what was going through your mind when you saw that portrait? I mean, did you Man, expect was, to see I that there? Just, I, I was just crying. You know, it's just like, at some point, I'd like to say, it's like I even forgot that I had the dream since I was a kid. Like, I forgot. I just, just, and then I said, wow. Yeah. It was just a wow moment. You yeah. know, I was so speechless. <laughs> and also, I was crying, too. I was crying. And I do remember the White House staff, the people that have, they were so friendly, right? Everything. I said, Man, good that you really like it here. <laughs> because I knew everything about the White House, the East with the West, you know, with books, right? Yes. The books. But now I'm here now. <laughs> it was like exactly. that moment. And uh, I said, Was your. So obviously you were in America at that 
point. Yes. Was your grandmother still alive at that point? At or? that point, yes, she was still alive. Yes. So did you immediately call her after that experience? Yes. Or yes. And told her you would never believe this? Yes. Wow. I still remember, yes. Wow. Unfortunately, she just passed away this okay. year. She just passed away April of mm. 2000. Uh, to, uh, April of 2018. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she and my grandfather, they had a marriage for 60 years. They built a wonderful legacy. They had yes. eight children, uh, 27 grandchildren, yes. and 37 great-grandchildren. My goodness gracious. <laughs> so, obviously, you you cut the story short, and you, <laughs> you got us to America. Yeah. Um, we've talked about the White House. So obviously, I, I think that the next place I should go, which was in the news recently and might still be kind of in the news, I haven't heard what's happening lately with the Honduran caravan coming you know, through Mexico. So obviously, you probably have some, some feelings on that and with your connection and affinity with just learning things about the White House, how, what are, what are your thoughts on that caravan and yeah. how things are going down with that? Wow. Thank you for that question. You know, definitely, I'm very, um, I sensitize, you know, with the families, you know, coming uh, from Honduras to the American, you know, to the USA, uh, because they had the exact same dream that, you know, most people, you know, that come from anywhere in the world they come to america for that american dream and and it's so sad to see moms you know with the kids on their arm that they have to make that drastic decision to leave honduras because the conditions are so badly there and and that they have no other choice but to leave and uh i know that It's, it's just just seeing the images I just just it's really sad it's, it's very sad mm -hmm. you know and uh, sometimes I I would like to be in a position to to you know to resolve things you know how it is you wanna you know and at the same time it's so sad when you know sometimes as much as good as my intentions are but there's you know, what I can do is limited to certain things, you know, but definitely I, I keep those families and everything in my, in my good thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I hope that it's going to be a immediate, you know, and, uh, a doable solution, you know, yeah. to them, absolutely. But yeah, it's, uh, it is a very complex issue, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. Cause I was, I was going to say, you know, Yes, they do. They're, they're looking for a better life. Yes. Now, some would say, well, you got to Mexico. Why not just be happy for the amnesty that you will get in Mexico? Because you know, if you keep coming into America, then obviously our president is saying, no, you just can't come across our border in that manner. So, do you feel like they should do it the, the proper way? Or is it such a desperate situation that yeah. they don't really have time 
to to worry about dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Yeah, that is a you know, I like to say obviously, you know, I like to say that if someone has the the time, energy and and also money in a certain way to actually cross those borders by walking, I like to say they do have that they could also use that same time energy to actually do it properly. Sometimes that's my reasoning about it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, um, I know you know everybody has different views on the thing, but I like to say, my, you know, uh, like I, I will do whatever it takes, you know, to, you know, get the help that is needed to fill out whatever paperwork and do it, you know, in doing the way that it should be done, mm -hmm. you know, to avoid such a because I like to say it's. Also putting the life of other people in danger too. Yes. You know, especially the little kids. I mean, that exactly. is so, yeah. So I always, you know, definitely when it comes to um, making a drastic decision, I like to say, why not do the, you know, the proper way. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, why not? Exactly. Yeah. So let's go back into, obviously you told us how adept you are in playing soccer or football or whatever you want to <laughs> uh, refer to it as. So you had the soccer, which is that kind of what got you to UCLA? Great question. Prowess? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, well, I, I play uh, soccer uh, in, uh, in, you know, for the most competitive team in Honduras. So in my hometown, La Ceiba, I play for uh, Club Deportivo Sauce. It's kind of like the most popular uh, team in addition to Victoria. Victoria is like the, uh, and at that time, you know, we were not affiliated with uh, the big team of the city, which is Vida at that time. But definitely Sauce is known as the team where you see like the best professional Honduran soccer players. Great, I can't come from that. And then when I moved from La Ceiba to the capital, I played for Olympia. Olympia is the best acting in Central America. Okay. And Period. I play, and <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I even got selected to play for the national selection under 17. Mm. And uh, but now this is how interesting it is when that happened in 2001, which happens to be the year when we actually received the uh, the letter from the U.S. Embassy in Tegucigalpa the, about the opportunity for us to come to the USA. And this that process was initiated years back by my aunt on my father's side <laughs> who applied. Mm -hmm. It was like a 12-year process. Wow. And we just didn't know about it. You know, when we find out, oh, okay, everything was done. And, and because uh, you know, we made a decision to come to the U.S., so the the whole soccer thing, uh, Honduras ended right there. Mm. Now, when I came to the U.S. and everything, uh, the the level of commitment and professionalism to soccer was not the same like it was before. Now, I, they had the, still had the desire to play, and that's why I went to first. I started learning English. I started from the zero, learning English from the. Uh, I only knew how to say hi. My name is Jose. That's all I knew how to say. 
you know, but I was determined, you know, I said, you know what, if the American people speak to me in English, I will reply in English. So people will have, sorry, excuse me, sir, what time is it? And I will say to them, hi, my name is Jose. <laughs> <laughs> They would say, and they would say, "What are you? I have no idea. That's the only thing I will reply." Yeah. They say, you know, "What's the weather condition?" I say, "Hi, my name is." <laughs> oh my goodness! So I went to community college. I went to Los Angeles Southwest College uh, in Los Angeles, and that's where also they happens to have um, the educational programs, like transferable programs that would allow me to transfer into UCLA. So I already had the vision. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to go to UCLA because that's the school where I could play soccer because the, the athletes that I used to admire as a kid watching the Olympics and everything, they all came from UCLA. Wow. And uh, so I had the vision. I know I'm going to make it there. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. So I went to community college first. I took all the coursework that was required. At some point, when I finished at Southwest College, there were some few classes that they didn't have, especially for the math. But the only uh, community college I had was Santa Monica College. Yes. So I went to Santa Monica College to complete them, and then I transferred to UCLA. And uh, so while, while I was at UCLA, I was committed now you know, to make it to the, to the thing and everything. And everything was in alignment. But the whole issue was the fact that the NCAA eligibility rule. Uh, because I started school back in Honduras at the university level mm -hmm. in 2001. So by the time I transferred into UCLA, which is 2005, okay. the four year, there's a four year eligibility rule. Yes. That start as soon as you start college. So it was already expired. Mm. So that's why I, I didn't play from that. So you never got to play. <laughs> yeah. Not even one second for yeah. UCLA. Yeah. So at what point then did, obviously you made that commitment to yourself mm -hmm. that you wanted to be this mathematician. Mm -hmm. So where did, obviously you, you, learned, you learned English. Yeah. Right? Hi, my name is Jose. I started from there. Yeah. So you learned the English. So at what point did you say, okay, now is the time for me to really hone in on these math, on this math skill? Right. You know, definitely the math was still there because I was a math tutor. I've been always, while I was learning English, mm -hmm. I got a, a tutorial position. A position, it was a student worker job at Southwest College as a math tutor. So while I was so you could English, so you could always do math. Yeah, I could always said, do math. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we, when you said, "Hey, I want to do math," you already knew that you could do it at that level Correct. because it kind of came easy for you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know the the beauty about mathematics is universal language, mm -hmm. and you know so, I own it so well. You know, so going back right when I was fourteen years old, and I got inspired by Benjamin Banneker. Uh -huh. Something happened to me that I became, I went from being a straight D student to straight A with a maybe between, I like to say three months to six months. And then I was not competing for the math contest mm. in the schools over there. And I took it all the way to the top. And, wow. and uh, I was a great student. So now when I came to America, it was just a matter of the language, learning the English language, you know, so I can 
you know, mm-hmm. be able to articulate it. So let's stay on the topics of, of language. And you said math is the universal language. Universal language. So for someone like me, when math does not come easy to, what, in, in a layman's way, in terms, explain why it, 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 the way you see it, it's a universal language. Right. Which means, to me, anyone can do it. Right? So. Yes. Great. Let's say, for example, imagine that without the math, right? Without math, right? Imagine, like, let's say you go to Japan. Okay. Right? And all you see is now the Japanese language system there, right? Now, obviously, if you have no foundation, you know, for that language and everything, Mm -hmm. you will not understand anything. You know, the same thing, you go to Israel mm-hmm. and you see the Hebrew, you will not have done nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, let's look at backwards. Now, when you have the math, you can go to all those countries. Okay. And the math is still the same. The math. <laughs> you see? Yes. That's the universal language. Okay. So, that from looking at it from that context, you know, addition is addition. Yes. So, trash is to trash anyway. Okay. Doesn't matter if you're in Europe. Yeah, okay, so I get it. I, I get it now. So it's like music. Yeah. Music is, and music has a lot to do with math, too, yes. right? So, so yeah, so I get it. So, so that way, my English, or like you're saying, my Japanese may not be the best, but guess what? If you need someone who knows how to do math, I could communicate on that level and you could actually still get a job if they just if all it is is math right and solving a problems mathematically you really don't need to speak Japanese (laughs) 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 right they look at the paperwork and I'm like oh okay he knows how to do this so that's 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 good good point yeah um so for the listeners out there that might say Okay, I get that. I get that philosophy. But now, how do I how do I get to the point where I feel comfortable in that math is is easy? How 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 does one make it easy? How how do you make it easy for your students? That is a great. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I like that the method that I like to use is in the, my tutorial sessions, I do is the Socratic method. And let me give you what I mean by Socratic method. It was created by Socrates, one of the greatest uh, Greek philosophers mm-hmm. who taught Plato and Aristotle. Right? And what this system is, is it allows the student to not just learn a particular math concept, but also master it to a point that they cannot teach it. Others. So in the in the that, so it's master it that they can't teach it. Yes, they so can't? they can teach it. Now, right, can or can't? The, they can actually teach it to others. Okay, they can. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so what I do in my process, you know, is I always do the learn do master with my students, right? So first, I make sure that they learn it, mm-hmm. right? Then I have them do do some problems, mm-hmm. right? Certainly, and then at the level of mastery is that I have them now. Explain that to me. Yes. How do you got there? Yes. 
right? So that is the Socratic method. And uh, when they get to that point, then mathematics becomes a piece of cake. And it's easy. And if you look at it, there are about 25 different mathematical concepts that is within the realm of, you could call it like up to, let's say, college algebra, algebra, right? And once they know those, everything else on top of that is just, it's just a follow-up. Calculus is just a follow-up. You know, it's, and I think what I found is that most students have problems with those basic principles, mm -hmm. mathematical principles. Yeah. So that's why math becomes now a struggle for them. And then more than a struggle, it also becomes an issue of perception. So they perceive themselves as, as someone that find mathematics hard. Yes. And because they see that they because of reality. Exactly. Yeah. So those 25 concepts, mm -hmm. is it ever, well, I guess, it's never too late to learn something, yeah. right? So if you had someone that just didn't have that foundation, you would have to just go back and make sure that they have those 25. There you go. Yes. Why, why do you feel, and maybe you don't feel this, so you can tell me if you feel it or not. Why do you, why do you feel, if you do feel this way, that the school systems will just pass children on without completely knowing those 25 concepts mm. when it's integral that they know them? Right, so if, 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 if it was required that you can't move on until you actually grasp these concepts, because just as knowing your native language or whatever it is, as we said, right, you can't know the universal language of math if you don't get all 25 of these concepts. So, so why wouldn't they hold that as valuable as just learning English? <laughs> Wow. Well, definitely, Trent, I will say this. I like to say that typically in the school system that we have, they focus mainly a lot on the first aspect of learning, which is on the learn, right? You got to learn this, learn, learn, learn this, right? And there is no space for them to actually go through the whole three stages, okay? Like they do and master. Mm. And I think that that's why, you know, um, parents and students, they have to make that exceptional effort. So to make sure, like, maybe that's why uh, tutoring becomes very important and instrumental. Uh, because when the, a student have that a special time with uh, a tutor that can sit down with them, they can actually complete the whole three-step process and exercise the Socratic method so they can get to a point where they actually master it. Mm -hmm. It's not just something that they just, oh, it was part of the curriculum, I just passed, I went to the next stage, yes. I went to the next one. Yeah, so I like to say that is like, and I think the whole school system that we have is is not set up for them to master it completely. Yes. It's because more about- Because there's no time. Yeah. Right? Because it's such a time crunch to fit in all of these work in a certain amount of time yeah. when we probably should just let's take our time and even if you know we're a little behind at least we've mastered this concept before yes. we move on to the next concept yes 
And now, this is the solution. I have a solution. All right, good. And I like to say that I am the only tutor, and that we are the only tutoring company that has a solution for students that for whatever reason, they have a master, does that. We have a, we have a workbook that where they actually practice about 20 minutes a day, right? And in a matter of six weeks, they can go through all those 25 principles and master it. And they go through the whole process. They learn it, they do it, and they master it. And within six weeks, someone, it doesn't matter where they are. It could be uh, someone who, you know, is a, a working professional who, for whatever reason, did not complete that part. But if they really want to still come back, it's never too late. Yeah. People can still go, and within six weeks, they can become proficient. And then they can move on. I had tutor many students. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's never and too late. Good. And yeah. at the end of the show, um, Jose's company is A Plus Malibu Tutors. So he'll tell you guys how to how to how to get a hold of him and, and to reach him for that. Yeah. So I once heard this comment, and it was at a school function, mm -hmm. and I just want to get your impression of of this comment. And it was concerning math, and they were talking about if you would know if, if your, your, your kid is in the wrong level of math if they have to get a tutor or if there's tears. So they actually had this mantra, no tutor, no tears. And then I thought about it, I'm like, because with my kids, right, getting a tutor was the difference between them getting a B plus and an A. That tutor will take them to the A, right? If they didn't get a tutor, yeah, there'll be no tears, but they would only end up getting a B plus. And so I kind of felt like that mantra really didn't make any sense, especially for educational institution to be saying no tutor, no tears. So what, what, what do you think about that, that mantra? <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because I am I am a a proponent, or I am in favor of the definitely the, you know finding a doable solution, which is the tutoring, right? Mm -hmm. The tutoring is what makes the difference. So the student is at this level, and the tutoring will allow them to go higher. So yeah, I like to say that that phrase, no tutor, that is so that's not encouraging at all. It's like. Exactly. Well, yeah. and what they were saying was, if your kid is crying in class, right, and crying over this work, then you need to pull them and take them down to the next level. Um, because there's really no reason to hire a tutor. And so I said, that really doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so for them to be promoting that. And once again, I think it comes back to, if there's no time for them to slow down the process so they can learn all these steps, then obviously a tutor is needed because they don't have the time to learn it all in class, especially if they're moving slower than the rest of the class. So, so that's that. Yeah. Let's um, do a segment that we normally do on Bent with Trent the Gent, and I think this is appropriate for you. So we're going to say, are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm right-handed. You are right-handed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> most of the most of the guests have been right-handed. 
Always have to say that. Nah, but it's interesting. Let me tell you something. Okay. All my family members, uh, I mean, everybody that knows me, they think that I'm a left-handed because in the way I write, I take the pen like if I'm a left-handed. So the whole mannerism, it appears that <laughs> so if you see me writing everything, you say, oh, this guy must be a left-handed. And because I'm a, with my foot when I play soccer, I'm uh -huh. a left hand. I'm, I'm a left-footed. Left left uh -huh. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, I'm like, I guess it's very strange. It's very uncommon yeah. to see someone who is... So you always kicked with your left with foot. You left. never kicked with your right. Can you do both? But with significant effort. I do, really? but it's a significant It's not yeah. natural. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, the next question that follows that is, are you left-brained or right-brained? Since you're in the map, yeah. most would think that you are left-brained. So, what do you consider yourself? You know, I like to say that naturally, naturally, I'm a left-handed. I'm left. Left-brained. Left brain. Nah, but over time, I have managed to make it very balanced. Mm -hmm. uh, I know for sure uh, that through my motivational speaking, Toastmasters International allowed me to exercise my right mm -hmm. part of my brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so giving presentations. So I got to a point where I'm in a point where, wow, I'm very balanced. But naturally, I'm a left yeah. brain. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. So, let's go back to the tutoring. Mm -hmm. And I think you mentioned that you tutored a lot of students at, um, was it Santa Monica City College or was it um, L.A.? City? Yeah, so I started, yeah, I started at Los Angeles City, uh, mm -hmm. Los Angeles Southwest College. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was at L.A., yeah, I tutored uh, students of all backgrounds, uh, as, uh, and then when I went to Santa Monica, I also tutored students as well too because I was a tutor at Santa Monica College yes. too. So then you transferred to, to UCLA, UCLA, and then mm -hmm. you ended up somehow, and you can tell us how this all happened, you ended up being the tutor to a lot of the athletes yes. at UCLA, which became very, very valuable, and you can tell us the whole story and where it ended up and how it, it all worked out. <laughs> yes. Wow, definitely. I, uh, I have one of the most beautiful experiences in all my life, you know, while I was at UCLA, and one of them was having the pleasure of tutoring the student athletes at UCLA. Now, when you look at the student athletes at UCLA, we're talking about the best athletes in not only in the nation, but I like to say in the world, where UCLA has kept that tradition of having the best student athletes and uh, in all 24 sports, all right? All, uh, not just basketball, not just football. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're talking about having the best of the best. And at the same time, being a student athlete is, is like a full-time job, too, because you know, I like to say in any school that you go, but especially UCLA, you know, the level of competitiveness. And uh, definitely tutoring becomes even more indispensable for the student because they they need the help so badly, you know, because, you know, the, the time flexibility is not as like a regular student, you know, it's much more difficult. 
So, you know, so while I was at UCLA, I, I had the pleasure, and I like to say I take a, a great pride because I like to say that I was one of those few tutors that I got to tutor a student from all this, all the sports. Yeah. All the sports, and, uh, and you know, I was, uh, I was like the guru, the guru person. People go to me because I developed a tutorial system to tutor people and make sure that they get it and it works according to the, the time. It was in a timely manner, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah. and I remember asking you, well, how did they, how did these student athletes find you? Because because yeah. most, most just regular students, not the athletes, tend to go and find the tutors. So how did you become known as, you know, the go-to for the student-athletes? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there are over 400, about 400 student-athletes, right? Out of the student about 400, about, if you look at it. And uh, I think the, the word of mouth, it goes so quickly. Because uh, I like to say the student-athletes are very united and they know each other. You know, and they have this team. And uh, so once they know something that is really good, they refer to it, they tell other people right away. So you become instantly known. So I first, obviously, the very first step was that I got the job at the uh, Athletics Tutorial Center. So this is actually a, a center within UCLA for tutors to tutor only athletes, right? And uh, so I started there, I got that position and they, you know, I, I started tutoring, you know, they assigned me students to tutor. So I started tutoring like about five students and then the rest is history. So I, it all started right there. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful that Mr. Tom Rapp, he was a director of the student, uh, you know, for the student athlete. He, right away, as soon as I transferred to UCLA, I got the job there. And uh, I was also tutoring in the honors program. I was mm -hmm. tutoring other, you know, within the university. But that was definitely very special for me to yeah. be there to the student athletes. Yeah. So, the end of that story, what, obviously, you, you were honored in a very special way. Yeah. Can you share that, that story? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I, um, during, my, during my senior year, at UCLA, I was uh, uh, Dan Guerrero is the athletic director, and he also became my mentor. And I, I was extremely honored when he uh, personally uh, endorsed me for the Bruins Senior of the Year. Uh, this is an award. Uh, this is a you know organized by the UCLA alumni, and uh, it's something that I still remember it today. And you know it's so it's so very special, Trent. You know to yeah. have. Well, you're you down. Know, you're downplaying it. Yeah, this is awesome. Because you, correct me if I'm wrong, you were the first, what, to win that award. Were you, you know, yes, I was the first. Exactly, like uh, to my knowledge, I'm the first one, <laughs> a non-athlete yeah, exactly. that got endorsed by yes. Yeah. Dan Guerrero. Is it not something? Wow. The first non-athlete to do that. Yeah. And why do you think that was the case? You know, I, it was definitely because of the, the consistency 
and the great contributions that I made to the athletic department as a whole. Yes, they because were, obviously some of those athletes needed you yeah. to maintain whatever grades that they needed in order to be eligible, yeah. right? Which is very important, right? Yeah. What good is a student athlete if they're not eligible to play? Then they're going to be sitting on the bench or <laughs> or whatever else. So so yeah. good. So congratulations to you for that. Let's yeah. get another um, another um, segment that we always do on Bent with Trent the Gent. <laughs> so let's do um, let's let's do this question here. So sometimes I do invent with Trent the Gent, which would be what do you consider to be the best invention of all times? Sometimes I do mint with Trent the Gent. What did you mean by whatever you said? Sometimes I'll do spent with Trent the Gent. What was the best money you ever spent? I'm going to do with you, Jose, I'm going to do sent, S-E-N-T, sent with Trent the Gent. And what was the best gift that you ever sent someone? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow! And I know, and I, this, wow. I think this should be easy for you, because I, you know, I know you give a lot of things. So, so it doesn't necessarily have to be sent in the mail, but mm -hmm. if you sent something in the mail, we can. But it's just gave someone sent <clears throat> best gift you ever gave. Wow! Sent someone. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh wow! This is a great <laughs> but I. I like to say, I like, well, all the gifts that I give are very special, you know, but I'd like to say, wow, that's, this is a, uh, <laughs> so but, yeah, me, but you know, I like to say this one, I like to say, because of the, the level of impact of that book had on me, and to give it as a gift for the first time to someone so special. I like to say was when I gave this gift, The Seat of the Soul, mm -hmm. this is the book that I, I learned from Oprah Winfrey, right? <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, uh, she has referred many times, I mean, she mentioned about how this book changed her life, about setting intentions. Yes. Right? And uh, I, her Oprah talking about this book on and off maybe I've been a, a big fan of Oprah you know like since I was a little kid too you know I remember look, seeing her at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when I was a kid in Honduras and since then you know what I follow up seeing it when I get and you know but definitely I always wonder you know I mean she she's so much success oh my goodness what is the key to her success right and I do remember that at some point a year ago, she was talking openly about this book, The Changer. You know? And the very first time when I got this book, right, following after I read it, I ordered another book and I gave it to, to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you I, know, I like to say that is the most special one. Thank you. And I've read it. And it's a great read. And I totally appreciate it. And I, I had a feeling that you were going to say it was a book because I know you like to give books. <laughs> but I figured maybe there might be something, some other things that, that you like to, to send people. So um, as we know, books are great things to, to send and, and to give people. Um, 
So let's let's go there then. <laughs> so and I know when you told me about this book the first time, you had told me that before Oprah starts any meeting, she starts off with, regardless of who she's meeting with, she says, "What's your intentions?" Yes, right? that's the first thing that she says now, <laughs> and she says, and you said that you were gonna start doing that. Don't know if you have or not. Um, so let's talk about you know now in in 2019. And obviously, this might be posted, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe a month later. Who knows? <laughs> but we'll try to get up <laughs> as soon as possible. But what what are your intentions in 2019 to do a little different than what you did in 2018? <laughs> well, definitely. I, I like to, when I talk about intentions, I, I classify them into three categories. The area of health, the area of wealth, and the area of love. Mm -hmm. So I like to say that one of my intentions in the area of health uh, for 2019 is to, uh, my ideal weight is 157 pounds. My height is 5'7", so mm -hmm. according to my and my age. So I would like to say that my own intentions is to weigh 157 pounds mm -hmm. <laughs> and have my six foot. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, That's those, so those are your intentions. Intentions, yeah. So how are you going to do that? And then, aha, uh -huh, now, now <laughs> we're going to talk about intentions. Something about unique about what I learned from this book, mm -hmm. you know, the seat of the, seat soul, of the soul, is the difference between a goal and an intention. Mm -hmm. Now, a goal, if you look at it, a goal is the final outcome. Yes, that's right? the goal. Exactly. Uh -huh, that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the intention is the whole process. It's the cause and the effect. Yes. So, I'm so committed, you know, to that intention that it is happening. And obviously, I have some target dates to mm -hmm. meet, obviously, right? Yeah. So how it's gonna happen? Obviously, I'm going, I'm working out. Okay. Right. I have even my 24 nutrition life. Okay, I see that. <laughs> yeah, I see life. That. Okay. Yeah. And that's a one. Of my, the habits that I'm building is to do. Um, there is this program called is a eight minute, which I learned from the Oprah Winfrey show too, by the way. Is the eight minutes in the morning? It's called eight minutes in the morning. So what it is is that as soon as you wake up, your body is in the best position to do those workout exercises in the very first eight minutes. And when you just get it done effectively and you do it consistently every day, mm -hmm. you know, I, I did it. And that was the time when I lost the most weight and I got my goal. So I just want to go back to that. Right. When so I do the first eight minutes. First eight minutes when you wake up. Boom. Just right. do it. All yeah. Right, good. Don't forget to drink your sip of water before you do that, though. <laughs> my wife says you gotta drink a sip of water. Sip of water before huh? you go to bed, and the first thing when you wake up. So mm. make sure you do that too before you do your eight minutes. All right. So you got the health, you got the wealth, the wealth intention. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one of the wealth <laughs> intentions definitely is to be able. I have this big vision, right? My vision, just like Bill Gates. Bill Gates had a vision at some point that in every home. There's gonna be a computer, mm -hmm. right? So I have a vision that in every home there's gonna be a tutor, a Mali Wayflas tutor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, so that's my vision, and you yeah. know I I like to 
uh, you know, every year get closer and closer to that, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like to say for this year, I would like to help um, over, uh, my minimum number is to help 12 different tutors, you know, uh, reach the status of, you know, uh, having a full-time income as a tutor. Mm -hmm. And I want to do it through the company. So I want to, that's my goal. Like at the end of this year, I would like to say, you know, uh, hey, I help this 12 different person, 12 people, mm -hmm. 12 full-time tutors. Yeah. To make this level of impact exactly. in other tutoring. Yes. And that definitely can happen. That <laughs> definitely can happen, right. yeah. And then the last area was remembering love. Love. And, the love. Love. and right. the area of love is that, you know, definitely one of my intentions is to actually uh, meet the love of my life mm -hmm. and uh, get married. Yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> that's yeah. my intention. Yeah. And so are, is that just going to happen via introductions? Or are you out there? No, okay. definitely. I am I'm definitely, uh, I'm not open to receive the person and definitely, you know, I'm dating, I'm meeting, yeah. you know, different, uh, you know, women and everything and, and definitely it's been a, a fun time. It's been a fun journey. Yeah. All right. So you brought up, <laughs> you brought up love. I didn't. So I think yesterday, yeah. didn't you have a webinar for men only? Yeah. That was, what was the name of that webinar? <laughs> yeah. Understanding. The heart of a woman. Understanding the heart no, the of woman. a woman. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, did, the woman. I didn't catch that one. Because you did it like on New Year's Eve at 3 o'clock. So I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> now, who were you actually speaking on that? Or was somebody else speaking on that topic? Yeah, I was actually the one. I was the speaking All on right. that. So, obviously, you know... I don't know if that was a free webinar. You had to pay to, to get on there. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, it's open to the public. It was okay. free. So, what were, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. what was like the highlight from from that? Yeah. And, and well, they say never ask two questions. But what was the highlight from that? And what made you an expert on that topic? <laughs> Why don't you start with that? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Well, I like to say, Trent, is the the context, the full context of the con of that webinar is to empower men to become men of honor. And so, what the vision here is to help all the men in my life empower them with this timeless principles that I learned from two of my grandmothers, my maternal and my paternal grandmother, about how to understand the heart of a woman. And this goes beyond romantic love. We're talking about relationship with women as a whole. Um, and here's the three. You want to know about the three? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, sure the number one is integrity. Okay. Integrity. Um, in the context that there's nothing nothing more important to a woman than knowing that the man that she has in her life, they keep their word to her, mm -hmm. their promises. Yes. So, being that level of reliability, being able to 
honor those promises. Mm -hmm. That is the, the foundation for success in any relationship with any woman. Yes. And, uh, you know, so that's why the subtitle of the webinar was Understanding the Heart of a Woman. And the subtitle is How to Be Extremely Successful with Women. Okay. So definitely that success is founded on integrity. Okay. Okay. That's number one. Number one. <laughs> number two. Number two. Active listening. Now, now there I like to say that the active listening is it becomes vital because when a woman has the need to express and share, women sometimes find it really hard to find men that truly can listen to them without any interruption. So it's important that we can become an active listener and we let them express. And we do it from the place of care, understanding, and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you know, magic happens, like big things happen. You know, when we actually listen to the woman of our life, just listen to them and, and, and get to really appreciate what's important to them, what matters to them first. And by doing that, that's where we get to the third one, okay. which is unconditional love. And I know the word love, I define, you know, the word love is often very misused in the society or is only used to a certain extent. But the full definition of love, which I, I can I read it to you? No. <laughs> can right, I good. read it again? Right, I want to go and read it because it's, it? it's very special. Yeah, it's a, now, I want to I want to take the time. It's so beautiful. And this comes from. And this comes from. Uh, it it comes from First Corinthians. Okay. So chapter thirteen. Okay. And I want to read it. It's so the, beautiful. The true definition. The true of definition love. of love. Okay. And I mean, he's, this he's pulling it up on his. His iPhone <laughs> yeah. enters, so just to let you know, give him a minute to, to do that. Yeah. Um, oh, did you find Already. it? Already. Okay. Yeah. So look at it, how beautiful it is. Okay. So love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And this is the beauty. Love never fails. So that is, um, That's I, I didn't know that was Corinthians, whatever number it was, yeah, but yeah, first uh, Corinthians 13. First good, but I, <laughs> that's read at a lot of wedding ceremonies. Usually that's a reading. I remember at someone's wet wedding, I had to read that one. So, yeah, so that's, some people might be familiar with, with, with that one. So definitely. Uh, so thank you for sharing all that with us. Yeah. Let's get... And you know, I like to say, when you mentioned about what makes me qualify... Oh, yeah. Did you answer that? I like to say that, yeah. <laughs> when I say that, what makes me qualify is because over time, since I was a little kid, uh, 
I always have genuine successful relationship with women. And I like to say that, uh, you know, even all my friends, all my friends, they always tell me, Jose, I really want to learn from you. I really want to learn how to be successful women. They come to me for advice. Yeah. <laughs> they come to me. And uh, it's something that is in my nature. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I, I'm just so good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's in your nature, <laughs> partly because we know half of the story is, you already told us, one set of those grandparents were married for 60 years, yeah. so you have that as an example, right, as a model, so obviously they did something, to stay together for 60 years, they did something right and you got to see that. What about the other grandparents, were they together also, for a yes, they were long always, time? Uh, yeah, unfortunately they died young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or younger than you know, yeah, than but this still one. very but committed this... to each other. Yeah. So, if you know, love is patient. Love never fails. Um, all those things that we read in, in that Corinthians there. In in order to, right? And you said, in a nutshell, it was unconditional love. Yes. And I think what happens is, right, this is turning into a relationship edition here. (laughs) I think what happens is most individuals get married. Number one, they forget the vows that they recited to each other in front of God or whomever they recited. So they forget those vows, for better or for worse, rich or poor, all those things. And then they... I, I would think most people probably think the only unconditional love that is possible is probably to their kids or pets or <laughs> whatever it is. For whatever reason, they probably don't look at their spouses as unconditional love because if they did, they wouldn't be so quick to separate. You know, yes, you you nail it. <laughs> you nail it, yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, you got to the point, yeah. And and now, there's also a trend, in addition to what you just expressed, too, that there are, now that we know the definition of love, mm-hmm. right, there are multiple ways how we can show love to others without having an attachment to a particular relationship. And let me just go deeper on that. Okay. For for example, right when we, uh, in the context that we, when we, let's say, we can show the love to a stranger, right? That we just met on the street, right? Obviously, uh, when that relationship begins and we start having conversations, right? Obviously, the the evolution of the relationship, right, get you know better and better, right? It's a an evolution, and time is a factor. Mm-hmm. But just by the definition of we at any point, at any moment, we can always be loving people. We can love everyone, and and show the love. And, and I think that's part of being a man of honor because when we love others and we do it uh, without any attachment, we become super extraordinary gentlemen and you know and we are here to to make a difference and, and people rely on us they come for us for leadership yes yeah 
that's um I forget the name of the group, but I, I, I'll get it to you. <laughs> um, I get I get you the name of the group a little bit later. All right, let's go into another <laughs> segment <laughs> that we do because we're gonna be crunched here on time. Um, let, let's do this one because this is kind of a new one that I've been doing, and this this might be hard for you. So this is the look alike or look like segment. So who do people say? You look like Jose. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is so interesting. And I know that I, well, I, I know it's flattering, but you know, <laughs> I don't know, but a lot of people say, I'm, I'm laughing already. <laughs> you know, that resemble, you know, this uh, dancer one. <laughs> Because once, once upon a time, yes. he was um, voted the sexiest man alive, right? Yes. And I don't know if you saw, I posted something probably about a month ago. Some guy told me that I looked like Idris Elba, who is currently the sexiest man alive. So that's pretty funny as well. So we both, so we both been touted as looking like the sexiest man alive. <laughs> All right, so that's one of mine recently, but the question, the, the follow-up question to that, so who do, who would you say that I look like? Oh, that you look like? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a great question. You okay, can't let me think. Let me think. Please let me think. Wow. <laughs> that is a good question. Okay, let me see. And they have to be in the winning Hollywood entertainment. I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, if, if if they're not in Hollywood entertainment, no one listening would know them, who oh, you're talking okay. about. Okay. But you That's could say, cool. hey, I have this friend who I know in Kansas, and he looks just like you. I mean, I've gotten that before, too. I so, see. like I said, I've gotten, well, you think. I'll tell you, I've gotten Alfonso Ribeiro. You oh, you, you mentioned yeah. Fresh Prince from Bel Air. Yeah. You mentioned that, so I've gotten that before. Wow, yes. You think? I've got it. But this <laughs> is the one, this is the dinger. I get Jerry Rice all the time. I always get Jerry Rice if you follow football. Aha, uh -huh, Jerry Rice. Okay, I get that yeah. one all the time. So you see those? Whoa. <laughs> he says, whoa. <laughs> you know what? I like to say Alfonso Rivera. <laughs> Because even your voice. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, like, yeah. That's the one I was just like, oh no, not Alfonso Ribeiro. <laughs> and I think my wife hates him, by the way, so, you know, that's not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's do this uh, segment that we normally do. So, this is the fill in the blank segment. Okay. All right. And so, this will go well with your inspirational speaking um, career. So, don't stop blank. Losing faith. Don't faith. stop losing faith. Mm -hmm. Because faith, I like to say faith is, when we have faith, it's impossible for us to fail. So it's faith in yourself, faith in a higher power, mm -hmm. What I mean, or because just faith, faith okay. period. I, I mean. have faith, because faith, if you look at it, right, faith is seeing the invisible. For example, about 18 months ago, 
for me at that time, based on my career, it would be impossible for me to to own a sailboat or to be in a sailboat. It was impossible at that time, you know. But at some point, I achieved faith and I saw the invisible and I saw myself having the boat because when I was out, well, my childhood dream when I was a kid too, I wanted to be a, have a boat because you know in Honduras the only boat owner that you see are the super rich. Yes. And at some point I said, you know what? I want that. I want to play with the boat. And I like the ocean. I, I grew up in the BC. Yes. And uh, look where I am now. Exactly. So and everything started when I had that faith when I saw the invisible. So I think if that's if we were like to define what faith is, that's what it is. It's seeing the invisible mm -hmm. so when we wherever that we are whatever dream and goal that we have if we are able to see it that's when we have faith yes so and jose gave it away i said we were in hollywood um, beach yeah. but i didn't say we were on his houseboat <laughs> so we're kind of rocking away here i think i'm gonna be um boat seasick here. <laughs> here in a second so um so yeah so we are currently on on his boat and you know he has a gold board here too and he has a he has a bigger boat so obviously he, he can see he can see that vision coming into fruition as well um all right so that was the first one don't stop um having faith the second one you can Yeah, you can have diligence. Diligence is is a very special word, very precious because it's a learnable skill. And when we have diligence, we can achieve super success. Um, in so is diligence the same as persistence? Or is there no? There are great. You know, it's a very rich word. Definitely. For someone to be diligent, they have to be persistent. Persistent is part of it, but not all of it. So what's because the, rest? The, word, the other one is a smart thinking, a smart planning. When we actually are diligent about completing a project, we are very impeccable in details, target dates. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what needs to be done, okay? In order to achieve that, this is the list of goals that have to be met. And then out of those goals, there are st steps. These are the steps and yeah. these are the tasks. Yeah, those intentions, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, yeah, when we are diligent, uh, that all that is part of being diligent. Yeah. All right. So let's be diligent then in 2019. Yeah. And then the, sec the third one, I'm sorry, is conversations are... I like to say conversations are are gold. Why are gold? Because sometimes we are just one conversation away to meeting the next big thing. You know, if you look at it, sometimes you know, I, I sometimes I'm in all these networking events uh, or just events as a whole when I meet so many people, right? And I, 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 what I've noticed lately, Trang, is that I get to, I don't get the maximum value of meeting all those people if I don't have a conversation with them. Totally. 
because you know it is in that conversation that everything happened from there. Yes. And when you actually you can actually find what we have in common and everything and all happens in that conversation. And that conversation can be just like sometimes three minutes or five minutes. Mm -hmm. But definitely conversations are very precious. They are, they are gold. I yeah. call it gold. So when you're at those networking meetings or networking opportunities and there's probably not enough time to speak to every single person yeah, in the room. Do you feel like you were robbed of that of that gold? Yes, you know, I feel that way. And I, at the same time, I understand that I always, I always have doable expectations. I know for sure that I'm not going to be able to talk to everybody. But I like to say that when, when I do make the effort to follow up with people, that's when I actually see the value. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's not just in getting the business if we actually had that conversation with them. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the, like you said, that's the value of it. Because if it's just passing a card, and it was, I mean, recently I was at an event and I was talking to another young lady. She was sitting right next to me. And the next thing you know, this gentleman, he comes up and he just hands both both of us his business card. <laughs> we we kind of looked at each other. But that's what is what is that all about? Right. That's so that's so 1980 ish way of networking. <laughs> right. Just come and hand, hand your card. And like I said, why would we even want to move further on that relationship? Because you didn't have the. The, you didn't want to put in the time to talk to us. You just want to make sure that we had your card just in case we might need your services. We might call you or whatever it is. So, yeah, so that's funny. All right, so speaking of services, we're a little bit over an hour here in our conversation. Mm -hmm. So we always um, give all of our guests on Bit with Trent the Gent a chance to let the listeners know how to reach you so whatever social platforms that you have if there's a website name of companies whatever you want to do jose now is the time to let everyone know how to reach you yeah i like to say the the best way to reach me is you can visit my my website um malibu a plus tutor.com and definitely I like to say, come and, and learn how to read a book. You know, I like to say that the, the best gift that you can give to yourself for this new year and to anyone in your family is the ability to read a book. Because your success, your success is just one book away. You know, there have been amazing books here that have helped me to achieve uh, so many dreams. And, uh, you know, your next dream, maybe the dreams that you already wrote as a new year resolution, it's just one book away. And uh, that's what we do. And we're the best at what we do. And, you know, come and do a seminar with us. Uh, we have webinars now too available. And our webinars are actually being done uh, at 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. And you can text me. If you text at this number, 424-279-2150. When you text the number, I will send you the link. So you can actually participate on the webinar or you can come in person uh, to come to one of our uh, seminars. So normally we end right there. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't believe I 
because obviously you're, you're, we touched upon the book and see the soul of the book that you gave me um, on the scent with Trent the Gent. Uh, just today, you gave me another book on Tom Nix from Nix oh. Checks. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously you're an avid reader, but we didn't explain, right? You got up today, the first thing you did, it sounded like you read the whole book yes. today in one setting, and you moved on. So what we forget, we talked about the math, but we didn't say that you also um, help individuals, young and old, on how to do speed reading. Yes. So that's why Jose is, you know, an avid reader. Like I said, if you were in his boathouse, you'll see books <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he can read a book. So, so like that, the book today that you gave me, yes. how, how, how quickly did you read that book? So I read the book within, typically it takes the average book size, which is, that's the mm -hmm. average book size, it's about okay. 300, you know, 320 pages. Mm -hmm. The average time frame is 90 minutes. Okay. That's the average time frame. And uh, we teach a system how to read the book. You read it like five times. There are five ways how to read a book. And when you read it during those five times, you get to have the highest level of comprehension. And uh, you get the, the richest. That's what you have the richest experience with a book. So you, read, that, so you read that book today. <laughs> yeah. That was this is you you rereading that book because it was your first time. Yeah. So you're trying to tell me that you read that book in five ways in ninety minutes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are five different ways I read it. See, so that's why minutes. stuff like that goes over my head. <laughs> uh, obviously, yeah. exactly. it, obviously it it works, I and see. and I'm gonna say it works. Because Jose has my two boys, and unfortunately my daughter hasn't had a chance to, to go through and sit down with Jose and learn this, but my two boys have, and I will say that it works because my kids are pretty blunt, and they would come back and say, that crap don't work, right? And, and they didn't say that. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. So I know Jose's looking for something right now as we speak. Yeah, because you... I want to give you a copy of the five steps so you okay. can keep it with you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do you and, do you know them off the top of your yeah, head? Yeah. Or? So there are five steps. You start first with the overview. Mm -hmm. So the overview of the book is when you actually look at the front and mm -hmm. the back cover of the book, mm -hmm. and then you do a debrief. A debrief is when you actually look at from left to right, just to look at how the book is structured, and from right to left. And the so reason when you that say, we do that right away. When you say how it's structured, yes. what does that mean? What does looking, it mean? looking for photos in there? What are you looking for, pictures? Picture, correct, <laughs> because I think that certain books in the way they're structured is that at the end, the author will give you like a, uh, a grocery like new words technical mm -hmm. words yes. and sometimes when they are the segment we want our students to go there first so they can define those technical words because some technical words sometimes they can be so technical that in order for you really get the book you gotta go over that first okay. before you read the whole thing yes yeah so that's why we look at and also you look at how it is a stretch of the is it by chapter does mm -hmm. each chapter at the end has like an exercise for you to do okay Okay, yeah, so we and do you, that for... And you can see that just by flipping through flipping the book. Flipping the book right there, yes. So okay. that's step one. Okay. Then step two is what we call the preview. 
Okay. And during the preview, you go to the table of contents, and then you read impeccably each everything in the table, and then you choose the chapter that you want to focus. So typically, there are three main purposes while we read something. So all the books that you see in the, in the book or any book in any library, there are three main purposes why we read them. One is for pleasure, mm -hmm. right? We want to read it because we just want to read it. I like to have that. But then we also read it because we are seeking for solutions. Those are like the personal development books. I'm looking for a solution for something. I want to get better at this. Mm -hmm. right? And the other one is the books that we read for, okay, this is for a, either a job performance that I wanna get a license for this or a test, or if I'm a student, I wanna get better at this particular test. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a mandatory reading. Okay. Right? So those are the three main categories. So depending on what our purpose, you know, uh, then we can proceed to the next step. But sometimes your purpose could be just you seeking for a solution. So when you go to the table of content, you see the chapter right there that's gonna like, provide solution to what you're looking for and so then, if that's if, if that's chapter 10 out of 20 are you saying the first nine chapters wouldn't have anything to do with that chapter it's not like a build-up build-up great question some books in the, that's why we do the overview first right okay. so some books definitely allows you for you to do a step-by-step -step approach. Mm -hmm. Like, let me give you an example about, uh, there's a book, Think and Grow Rich. Okay. It's a book that is 13 steps mm -hmm. to reach it. And uh, so in order to fully understand a step two, which is faith, we gotta go back to the beginning, burning desire. So yes. you build up from there. Yes. So absolutely, no, definitely. And I am a, an advocate to read everything step-by-step, -step, start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the purpose for me reading that same book it will be different now because they say, okay, I already read the book. Okay. But now I just want to refresh myself on organized planning. Yes. So I will go to that chapter mm. <laughs> that. Mm -hmm. as a reminder. Yes. Very yeah. good. There you go. So that's a good question that you asked. But yeah, definitely, especially when we're reading a book for the very first time, mm -hmm. it's important that we just do from the beginning to the end. Yes. Very good. Yeah. So, so pick a chapter. Yeah, pick a chapter. That chapter that and then you go into reading. That's step three. Okay. And the reading is where you actually read the entire thing. And before you go into the reading, you define the specific purpose for reading that chapter. And that purpose is found in the very first paragraph and the last paragraph of that chapter. Okay. Okay. And then after that, we go into what we call the post view. And during the post view is when you go to the last pages of the book. Mm-hmm. And that's when we actually kind of like see, okay, what's the appendix? Or sometimes authors list a, a recommended books. Mm. So you can expand more on whatever that knowledge. Yeah. And so if you look at some of the books, sometimes I, I got one book and they, they recommend all this. So then I ordered the other book. So sometimes that's when I want to get deeper into something. Exactly. And then the last step is the review. And the review is when you actually do the retention diagram. And you actually get the fullest value of the whole experience, reading experience. Wow. That's what the meat is. And, actually, and that's what you teach. And, and both of you sound are good at that, too. Oh, my goodness. The retention <laughs> diagram. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. We're going to see. Well, 
Jose, you know, like I said, it's 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 been a great pleasure having you on the on the podcast. It's always great spending time with you and, and talking with you. Um, I can tell the listeners that you know when when you talk about conversations, you are sincere. When you on that answer, you were sincere. Because we didn't even meet in person. We met on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, we met LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> and then we met, right? And then we had a conversation. And then obviously we kept the conversations going. And so, and now here, here we are. So, so conversations are like gold. And so, yeah, if, if listeners, if you aren't having those conversations and you may think you know it all, right, right, that wouldn't be the, the, the right um way to a- approach that that conversation so you know all when i think of jose and actually you know i've heard people say this about you that you are just one of the best networkers that <laughs> they've ever seen and i can wow. and i can tell them that that is true and that is sincere as well so uh, you're just one of those those people that are golden right we'll go with that right you're you're golden <laughs> and um you know obviously you're 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 it so we want to thank you for being on the on the podcast today and so so thank you thank you Trent. thank you for giving me this extraordinary honor to to talk to you about what i'm really passionate about sounds good all right bye-bye bye-bye hi my name is trent the gent Please share this episode and other Vent with Trent the Gent episodes with your families and friends. Bye. My name is Trent the Gent.